Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek podcast. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who happen to have children on the autism spectrum. Join me, Elizabeth, and my co-host Vicki as each week we talk about Star Trek episodes, both new and old. Are you ready for the adventure? Come join us on Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly, where today we're going to talk about Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Season 1, Episode 2, Children of the Comet. Did you like this one, Vicki? I did like this one. I loved this one. Yeah. I was so excited when I finished watching this episode. I mean, it just ticked every box. Right. I do have a question from last week, which I realized when I was editing. Last week when Lon refused the pain blocker early in the episode, and Pike said he read her file, I mentioned that I didn't think that the backstory we heard at the end spoke to that particular scene. And you thought it did and said we'd talk about it when we got there, but we didn't, and I forgot about it until I was editing. So maybe I'm not thinking out of the box, or maybe I'm taking things too literally, but what does the backstory we heard have to do with her not taking the pain blocker? The way I interpreted it, and I could be completely off base here, but the way I interpreted it is that she had trained herself to tough out all her pain, physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain, every kind of pain. Okay. And so this was her way of maintaining that edge that she developed, which she believes helped her survive the massacre by the Gorn. Okay. That's the way I interpret it. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And we saw that again in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we did. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought there was maybe a part to a story that we hadn't heard yet. And there probably is. And that's one of the things that I'm loving so far about this series. We've got all these wonderful windows into these characters that show us the depths and show us how they are three-dimensional people and they're going to be, their dimensions are going to be explored. Right, and I have that actually in my notes too. I like how we're getting small snippets of the crew. And even if there's no backstory, because we really don't need a backstory on everybody as long as we're seeing them and they're participating in the show unlike discovery they were just all background until the fourth season when they said oh these people have to like these people so let's shove all these backstories in i mean i could live without having a backstory for ortega because she's a part of every episode and it would be good to have one but we don't need a backstory on everybody but what they're not up front but we're still getting these little snippets right exactly that's what i'm saying they're incorporating all of the bridge crew even though this is a and a her episode, we still saw a lot of Ortega. You know, we saw whatever his name is, Kyle. And we don't need a lot of backstory. It's great if they give us some. But they're starting to incorporate the crew immediately. Yes. So, and in a very natural, organic way. Right. Because if you remember the episode in season, I want to say two, Arium in Discovery. Yes. I mean, we never really, we saw Arium in the background once in a while. Yes. And all of a sudden, there was this whole episode about her because we needed to like her because she was going to die. Right. You know, and I just like the way it doesn't seem like it's just Pike, number one, and Spock. It's an ensemble. You know what I mean? Yes. 
Exactly. And that's one of the things I always loved about the other series is yes. one of the things that I felt was really missing in Discovery. Yes. Until yeah. they decided that we need to care about these people. And then they were just shoving all kinds of weird backstories that didn't even make sense. Yeah. And again, I love Discovery. I had a hard time with season four, but I really do love Discovery. Yeah, agreed. Cool. Well, let's start talking about Children of the Comet. I loved this episode from moment one when we got a cadet's log from Cadet Uhura. Rather than a captain's log telling us what they were doing, what they're, why they're there, all this stuff, we got a cadet's log immediately giving us the layers that we were looking for in our ensemble cast. And so she's talking about how the Enterprise is in a particular system called the Persephone system, and they're studying a comet. And she's going to go, she's been invited to the captain's quarters for dinner with you know other members of the crew. And so Lieutenant Ortegas told her to wear her dress uniform. And then when she runs into Ortegas in the middle of the ship on the way to the captain's quarters, Ortegas is dressed very casually. And she realizes she's been punked. She's been, you know, hazed a little bit as the newbie on the Enterprise. And I loved how they referenced Enterprise bingo. (laughs) Aurora has her first square of Enterprise bingo having been punked punked by yeah. Ortegas about wearing her dress uniform. And sure enough, when she arrives at the captain's quarters, everybody's relaxed and he says, oh, you're in your dress uniform. Guess they got you. I mean, he just knew exactly what's going on. It was delightful. It was warm. She felt silly, but not in a, you know, terrible, humiliated kind of way. Exactly. Just a, oh, gosh, right. really? This happened kind of way? Yeah, she didn't run to go change. She was, uh, no. you know. And so it was just, it was a cute little introduction to the characters, to the playfulness. It was very playful. It, there was no cruelty to it. There was no real hazing. I think they called it hazing. I think right. they used that word, but I, it didn't feel like hazing. He's, you know, and maybe I don't fully understand hazing, but I always interpreted hazing to be have a really kind of bullying, demeaning element to it. And this didn't feel that way. It just felt playful. Yes. But I could be... You know, could be wrong. Well, so. I think I think they toss the word around. I think it does mean what you think it means, but I think it, it's tossed around a lot as kind of you know the newbie. What happens to the new person? Yeah. Whether it's yeah. whether it's bullying or whether it's just something like this. So we're there now in this wonderful scene in Pike's quarters, and Hura goes and speaks to their new engineering officer, who is an Anar um, that is a related species to Andorians. Mm-hmm. The Anar have uh, because they evolved in, I think, a cold and lightless environment, if it, I remember correctly. Yeah, they were in, in the ice they, caves. Yeah, yeah, they don't they don't have um, the sense of sight as other Andorians do, but instead they have precognition, which means they can see things a little bit ahead of time. Right. Which was a nice foreshadowing. And I thought it helped just sort of lay the groundwork for this idea of precognition. Yes. And it kind of also laid the groundwork for what was really is going to be an interesting theme, I think, for this show. Because again, as we talked about last week with Captain Pike, he is dealing with foreknowledge of his death. Mm-hmm. Or his, not so much his death, but the terrible accident that left him completely debilitated that right. we saw in the original series. Yes. So he also has foreknowledge, like sort of almost a little bit like, you know, like the same as this precognitive skill that Commander Hemmer has. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just a really interesting um, layering that they're putting on and kind of giving 
these episodes, these themes, as Pike is sorting out this really heavy knowledge that he's dealing with. Really enjoy this. I'm really enjoying this. Anyway, so Uhura was trying to interact with Hammer. Hammer's kind of a little bit crusty with Mm her. Yeah. And then she talks about his precognitive abilities and... He, she asked about that, and he said, I knew you were going to say that. And she said, because you saw it? And he said, no, because everybody does. <laughs> and then he reaches up and catches a carrot that Spock tosses to him from behind. Right. And he comments about how Spock actually telepathically let him know that he was going to throw it to him as an in, in, you know, intention to show the way that Hammer functions. And Hora thinks she's getting harassed again. She's getting a newbie harassment again. She speaks to him in Andorian and then to Spock and Vulcan saying, you guys need to get a life. (laughs) And then they both were like, I like her. Yeah. (laughs) Which I was kind of expecting. You know, they were, they were in a way testing her to see how she was going to handle them. Yeah, they were. And then uh, we move to the next scene, and I love everything that happens in this episode gets connected to something else that happens in this episode, and I really love that. So Captain Pike is telling a story about when he embarrassed himself, and everybody's laughing. And Spock is like, why are you laughing when he, like, made mistakes? Doesn't seem like it's funny. And they're like, you know what? Sometimes when you just, everything goes bad, you just have to laugh. And that's, you know, it's just an enjoyable story that's, Box trying to understand why everybody else thinks this is kind of funny and is chuckling along with Captain Pike. Again, it's the same kind of playfulness that we see with Ortegas, you know, telling Uhura that she needs to wear her dress uniform. It's just playful. And then we see Uhura singing. She goes off to clean up or help in the kitchen and she's singing a folk song from where she grew up in Kenya, I think it was. And, um, then Captain Pike asks her uh, where the song is from and then says he's been to Kenya and, you know, what brought her to uh, Starfleet. And then she we get a little bit of backstory. And I'm not sure we've ever heard Uhura's backstory before for this detail. No, I don't think so. This did not sound familiar. So she said she was actually planning to go to the University of Nairobi to study alien languages because her parents had taught there. And then they were killed in a shuttlecraft accident before she was going to go there, along with her older brother, I guess. She couldn't go to the university because, like, it was just reminded her so much of this grief and this pain. So she went to live with her grandmother, who had been in Starfleet, and talked about it. And so she went to the academy. And she had said that she actually didn't consider herself all that Starfleet, which was a surprise. In a way, you know, it kind of shocked everybody at the table that she was like, yeah, I'm not sure I want to be here. And the other thing that was really interesting from this conversation is that Pike had started this conversation by saying, where do you expect to be in 10 years? And then paused because it was clearly triggered that painful thought of in 10 years, I am going to be dead. Incapacitated. Incapacitated. I think he thinks he's going to be dead. And he keeps saying that. In the first episode, first he said he was going to, he's going to be dead, or my life as I know it now will be dead. So I think yeah. he knows he's not going to be dead, but he keeps calling it dead because his life is going to be, you know, in the chair, not being able yeah. to do anything. Which perhaps that's going to be one of the layers that he's going to work through. So we move on to the end of the evening and Uhura and Spock are walking back from the captain's quarters and 
she thinks that she blew it with what she said. And Spock told her that, you know, Captain Pike values honesty. However, you know, well, most of these people who join Starfleet are there because it's a lifelong dream and they're passionately desiring to be a member of Starfleet. And she's essentially taken someone's place who, as someone who's kind of lukewarm about being there, right. she's taken the place of someone who really wants to be there. And right. so that's kind of like not so great. Right, right. And I thought it was really a good scene because, again, he's not taking her to task and he's not trying to make her feel bad for what she said. He's simply saying, you know, this is kind of a simple reality that you need to be aware of. Yeah, something she needs to think about. Yeah, yeah. and I really appreciate that. Again, there's no unkindness. There's no lording it over. It's just, you know, you probably should think about that because that's important for you to know if you're going to function in this crew. Very logical. Yes. We see a scene real fast with Una, the first officer, and Pike, and she's still trying to talk him out of his 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 conviction that he's going to be dead in 10 years, that, you know, he knows what's going to happen. Why can't he avoid it? Which is exactly the same thing that you said last week. Maybe that was covered in the, ep- the Time Crystal episode. I don't remember. But I guess accepting the Time Crystal, you're, you're accepting your fate. Yeah, that's what my recollection was as well. It's almost like the Soul Stone in the Marvel movies. Did you see did you see the Marvel movies? I saw one Marvel movie. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about when I say Soul Stone? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> so, just briefly. Just to yeah. clarify, I saw one Marvel movie. I've never seen Star Wars, so those all go all those jokes <laughs> go over my head. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Which Marvel movie was it, by the way? It was just The Avengers. Okay, good movie. Yeah, it was good. All right, well, the Marvel movies, if you ever find yourself interested in them, they're all interconnected. It's really quite brilliant storytelling. Which is why I don't go back and watch them, because I can't figure out what what goes first and what connects to what. I'm going to send you a list. <laughs> I'm sure you have which one. You, okay. Which you may <laughs> choose to watch or not, as you see fit, but then I will. it will help you understand how it all goes together. <laughs> Where I started was, is that... One of the storylines in this universe is has to do with these things called the Infinity Stones, which are stones left over from the formation of the universe. And one of these Infinity Stones is the Soul Stone. And the Soul Stone can only be taken by someone who gives up something they love. And by something, it means someone. And usually someone ends up dead. Mm-hmm. As you know, To get the Soul Stone, someone okay. has to die. And so... To me, it's a very similar kind of idea with those time crystals in that in order to get the time crystal, he has to accept and not fight against his fate. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of the way I felt from it when when my memory, again, you know, note to self. Well, yeah. My brain doesn't remember stuff anymore. But that seemed to be what I remember feeling from that episode. After last week, because like... I said, why doesn't he just avoid it? I was th- trying to remember. I didn't go back and watch. I was going to. But I do remember that he was warned that if he took it, he's accepting his fate. I did. I do remember that much. So, yeah, yeah, I wasn't remembering that last week. And maybe there's more if I ever go back and watch it again. But I do remember that. So I guess that argument is he probably can't avoid it. Yeah. And maybe what we should consider is, depending on how this season goes, when we get to the season break... Maybe we go back and we can do a, a podcast on that the the Boreth time crystal episode on Boreth and look at it again through the lens of what we have learned from the first season of this right, yeah. series. Yeah. So uh, moving on, 
we now now we have a great we have this wonderful warm opening with we get to see the crew playing together we can see the crew working together and interacting with each other and now we have a problem and the problem is is that spock has calculated that this comet that they're observing is actually going to smack into a planet persephone three and it's going to like do the whole blow up the whole planet nobody's going to live dinosaurs it's gone everybody gone kind of thing just yeah. really destroy the planet and there is apparently a pre-war civilization and captain pike says you know what we're not gonna let these people die so we're going to move this comet and we're going to attach ion engines to it and just nudge it out of the way just a little bit so it won't slam into the planet and as soon as they try to do that a force field goes up on the comet Dun, 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 which means that this comet is the source of some kind of technology, which means there's more going on here. And oh my goodness, is this an interesting episode? I'm so excited when that happened. Well, actually, I wasn't. I was nervous. <laughs> Were you? I was like, I was very excited. Oh no, it's going to be an anomaly that they're going to be chasing or something. Oh, what was it? Oh, what was it in Discovery? Why can't I see it wiped it from my mind? Oh, you mean like the um, the thousand-year-old sphere that had, like, knowledge for forever? No, 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 the planet killer. The, the well, discovery? Yeah. Oh, the, right. Um, the, the the dark matter. Yes. The DM. I can't even remember. See, I, I. DMA, dark matter anomaly. Okay. Yeah. That was my first thought, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I, like, I actually, my first thought was the original, no, the, the Next Generation series episode called Masks, where there was this library embedded inside a comet. Remember that one where they started melting down the comet, and they discovered this library that took over Data's mind, and he started making, ma- they started getting masks, and it sort of trans- started transforming the whole ship into the creation story the creation myth of whatever civilization put this together yes i I try hard not to remember that one oh that one's not that bad oh god (laughs) (laughs) and then the only other um episode that we have with the comet that i can recall was the voyager episode with the q trapped in the comet it was the q who wanted to take his own life because he felt like the continuum needed that that change right right, to end in order to revitalize the continuum right and i i again like the ship coming into the atmosphere i felt like i've heard this comet story trying to move a comet before in another episode but i'm not it's not coming to me oh well there was um there was another episode was it a comet uh, Next Generation episode uh, where they encountered a um, group of humans living in under a dome who had all been genetically. Oh, that's right. Okay. Programmed. Yep, yep, yep. Um, not genetically programmed isn't. I know what right, you mean. They'd all been genetically selected for like maximum efficiency of the civilization. For the community. Yes. And there was some kind. I don't know if it was a comet an asteroid something, or something yes okay and that's the one that troy apologizes for having a relationship with the guy when Riker does it every week but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes thank you <laughs> i was just thinking about that episode this morning and thinking about her in the turbo lift with the picard and picard going what do you always say to me counselor take a deep breath uh, yes why does she need to apologize for having a relationship with someone when Riker does it all the time yes, yes. thank you you know I'm, I'm not a fan of the troy character um i thought troy, troy was fine i appreciated what they were trying to do in my you know i tend to look at things um, in, in a sort of a cultural context and a historical context of what's going on in our society. And 
you know, the next generation was on this, the cusp of trying to make women more active in the character roles instead of passive, but they still wouldn't let any of them hold a gun. I know. (laughs) You know, or a phaser. Sorry. I mean, you know, or actually shoot people. Right. You know, they could shoot things with their phasers later on in the series, but actually, like, shoot other living beings. They they never, well, I don't know, never, but it was rare to see, if at all, can't remember now, should probably do, like, a survey and find out, to see a female holding a phaser, except for Yar. They let her do it. Well, she was security, <laughs> yes. Right, but ever, all of them should have been able to do it. Of course. Right. Anyway. Okay, enough of that. Let's get back to this really fun story. So there's a force field on the comet, and they're like, okay, we got to figure out what's going on there. And they try hailing the comet, and there's no answer. And so they're going to beam down to the comet, and Cadet Uhura is going along with. Because, as Pike says, if you want to learn alien languages, you go where the aliens are. Right. So she's actually quite nervous, and I love that. This is not our cool, calm, and collected Uhura. Well, see, who? Yeah, that, I don't agree with that. No, Uhura, Uhura on TOS was not calm, cool, and collected. She was the one in the miniskirt clinging to the mail, saying, "I'm so frightened." All the yes, time. Yes, true. But she was also the one pulling the knife out of her, you know, thigh boot in Mirror Mirror and telling Sulu to back off, or she was going to. Right, but that, Bleed him. Uh, yeah, that was in Mirror Mirror. <laughs> and I was more thinking about the calm, cool, and collected Uhura in, what was it? Um, the search for Spock, who held the poor transporter kid at phaser point saying, <laughs> you know, you want a little adventure now? Right, <laughs> Adrenaline yeah. running now? That was our calm, cool, and collected Uhura. Yeah, but I was going to say I was glad that although Uhura was nervous, she wasn't that clingy. I'm yeah. so afraid of everything wearing my mini skirt. Yeah. Person. I was glad they upgraded her. Yes. And again, that's very, very typical for our time back in the 60s. Right. That's what women were supposed to do. The fact that she was even on the bridge to manning communications was a big deal. Was a big deal. Right. Right. And I, and I do. I, I take that into consideration. But I was glad that. Um, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally agree. Yeah. I'm with you. Anyway, in order to prepare for this, they have to get some kind of special shot in order to help them deal with the cosmic rays that were going to turn their insides into melted jelly. And so Chapel gives them some very painful shot, which, you know, Uhura goes, oh, that hurts. And she says, she says, you should have given me advance notice. And and Chapel's like, if I do that, then people don't like me doing this. I've had to chase people. Right. (laughs) Which is, again, the playfulness. I love the playfulness. Everybody's having fun. And then Lon gets her shot, and she doesn't even flinch. No, she starts giving orders immediately. Yeah. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. Spock gets his shot and Chapel's fully flirting with him. 
Right. And Uhura notices that. And I wondered while I was watching that. Well, I wondered last week if they were going to incorporate the Chapel Spock thing into this series. And hopefully not as pathetically as they did it in the first series. But I also, as I was watching this episode with the way Spock and Uhura were connecting, I was also starting to wonder if they were going to incorporate the Spock-Ohura relationship from the Kelvin movies into the series. Yeah. Not really <laughs> as a full-fledged, you know, not a whole relationship like we got in the, in the Kelvin series, but just kind of like a wink to the Kelvin series. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. That's a, I had the exact same thoughts. Yeah. You know, they've got we've got Chapel clearly interested in Spock, like in the original series, and we've got this sort of connection, which as this episode goes further, that connection was deepened. Yes, that's what made me start thinking that. And then another... we also got to Pring at the beginning, so we know he's engaged. Right, right. But he was engaged on TOS. He was, but he wasn't in the um, Kelvin timeline. Right, right. But also, I was wondering, on TOS, am I just imagining things? Or was there an episode that said that Nurse Chapel was only on the Enterprise to find her fiancé? Yes. Okay. It was what uh, the episode, What Our Little Girls Made Of. Okay. Pretty sure okay. that's the name of it. Where they had androids, and she was looking for her fiancé, who was a scientist who was creating androids. And okay, yes. Okay. Ruck, who played the character in The Addams Family. Um, the butler in The Addams um, Family. Oh, Why geez. am I blanking What was on his that? name? I can't, it wasn't. Lurch, Lurch. Thank yeah. you. So the the actor who played Ruck, Ruck, Rook, Rook. Okay. In that episode, also played Lurch. Okay. In the Adams family, and he also played the butler in The Witches of Eastwick too, if memory serves. No, I hardly remember that movie. It's a great movie. But I barely remember it. So yes, you're absolutely correct. In TOS, there was this backstory of hers that she was engaged as well, and she was looking for this fiance of hers who had been creating androids, human lifelike androids on this planet. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so let's go to the cl- to the comet. So they beam down to the comet, and there's four of them. There's Lon, there's Spock, there's Cadet Uhura, and there's Lieutenant Kirk, the astrobiologist. So this is Samuel Kirk, not James T. Kirk. Right. And so he there he's there because, you know, he's going to understand whatever the new species is that they're encountering on this comet. And Uhura is there for linguistics work, and of course Spock is there for his science work, and Lon is there because she's afraid. She's gonna, not afraid, but she's like looking for every problem there could possibly be. And so they discover this great big golden egg, and Kirk thinks that the markings on the egg is a language, so he gets Uhura to look at it, and then he get, tries to get closer and he gets zapped by the egg and his heart stops. And they try to get back to the Enterprise, but the force field goes back up and the Enterprise can't beam them up. And just as they're going to try to shoot the force field, they are shot at by this huge ship that appears out of nowhere. This is the only thing I did not like about this episode, which is a minor, minor thing. But it's the only thing that made me go, eh, how could they not know it was coming? True. (laughs) I mean, they got sensors all over the place and somebody's responsible for scanning space, right? Right. (laughs) How could they not know this enormous ship was coming? So that was the only thing that was left unexplained. At least at least I didn't hear it. I may have missed it. I don't know. I, I mean, it could be they said their technology was so advanced. They could be were just assuming that it was advanced enough for them to cloak themselves or hide themselves. Who knows? Yeah, which was fine. But it was just the one thing that did not get communicated. So that yeah. I, it, I ended up kind of going, eh? Right, why, right. why didn't they know this was coming? Anyway, so 
the big, huge, enormous advanced ship calls themselves the Shepherds, and they're actually there to escort the comet, which is not a comet. It's something called Mahonet, mm-hmm. and it's apparently an entity, an arbiter of life, which sounded deeply creepy to me. It did. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> this thing gets to decide who lives and who dies? Yes. Okay. Um, no. So... I love the fact that Pike is kind of like, okay, yeah, ancient arbiter of life, but still not going to let him kill life. I thought it was really interesting. And this is, of course, they've got General Order 1, but it's really still pre-Prime Directive. Right. Evidenced by the fact that they're going to shift. I mean, because if it was actually post-Prime Directive, and this is one of the things that I think is fun about this episode, in the next generation, they never would have touched this comet. Right. They would have very sadly watched it hit the planet, very sadly mourned for the loss of the species, and very sadly moved on right but because this is pre-prime directive pike's all let's stop it from killing people and so they're like we're still gonna do that so now he's trying to juggle stopping the shepherds from shooting them stopping the comet from hitting the planet and getting his people off the comet safely and it's kind of fun and he does it in a really sort of i hate to use the word cowboy but it's like a cowboy kind of way yeah yeah i agree (laughs) yeah anyway it's just kind of fun meanwhile laura's trying to figure things out and she's really nervous this is all riding on her and she knows it and she's she's really nervous and she starts singing that song again and spock is like you're singing a song that means you're nervous and so everything's going to be fine because you can do this and she's like it's just a pep talk <laughs> he's like i've been told i should work on that <laughs> <laughs> but actually it was better than lan who says so are you saving us or are you going to get us all killed right yeah. exactly it was like she's the worst so i wanted to say okay you need to be quiet there. I-, I get it you're strong be yeah. quiet so uhura realizes or spock realizes i can't remember which i think it was spock realizes that the the cavern that they're in or the chamber that they're in that contains this egg that they're trapped in because of the force field now is actually resonating with her music with her singing and she starts to realize that whatever the language is on this egg is musical in nature and so she goes to all this work trying to figure out how the music is set up what the music is all about she's looking at these squiggles on the egg and she's figuring out that it's all about harmonics and that it's kind of a code that uses harmonics and the ratios between frequencies and music notes etc and she gets Spock to sing with her and it's really very cool how she she sorts it out it actually reminds me very much of that episode of Discovery where they sort out how to speak to the aliens that sent the DMA that new species you know all the things that they needed to do in order to sort of sort out the language right and Spock I liked what he said to her after the first pep talk he says this is her first time having her life be in danger and he says when that happens People, what did he say? Confrontations with one's mortality give them an outside perspective. People look at themselves from the outside. And then he said, you didn't intend to be there, but you were there. And then you're the only person for this job. And it was a great, great speech. And she said, that one was better. Yes. Which is where you and I were talking about that connection starts to deepen between them. So meanwhile, this Mahanet is actually broadcasting the music that it's echoing by Uhura. And so Pike knows that they're there and still doing stuff. So he wants to get them, give them an opportunity to do whatever it is they're doing, even though the shepherds are like, get them off our Mahanet, get them off, get them off. And then we get to the point where they're starting to get ready for a fight. Mm-hmm. Uhura gets Mahanet with her singing to lower the force field they're able to beam them off but pike is still not going to let this thing crash into the planet so he comes up with this great plan where they're going to put the enterprise in front of the comet 
want it because they think that it's not going to hit them. At least right. that's the way it sounded to me at first. You know, if it's the arbiter of life and we're not intended to be there in the first place, let's put ourselves there and then it'll have to avoid us. That's the reasoning I thought was happening. Well, I thought it was just to keep the shepherds busy because they couldn't fire at them. Well, and that afterwards, that was what I think was going on. Okay. But at first I was like, why are you putting the Enterprise in front of this thing? And I thought it was to force it to avoid the planet. That's what I thought. But I was wrong because what happened was is after Ortega, who does these Detmer level piloting moves. I mean, Sulu is awesome, but Detmer, her piloting skills, I'm just going to like complain, compare everything to Detmer from now on. So we got <laughs> Detmer level maneuvers right. from Ortega's, who calls the shepherds the crazy space monks, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Anyway, she figures out a way to get in front of the comet. She's, you know, she's dodging all the fragments. She's dodging firing from the shepherds and she gets in front of the comet and then they shut down power and Pike says, we're so badly damaged, we need help getting out of here because we damaged everything and we're not going to touch your Muhammad anymore. We just need your help to get out of here. So the shepherds activate a tractor beam which is the distraction enough that Spock is in a shuttlecraft. He leaves the Enterprise and he starts flying amongst the pieces of the comet without actually touching it because Pike said we're not going to touch it. Right. But creating enough friction amongst the pieces to actually melt some of the uh, dust and ice that sublimates into water, mm -hmm. melts, and that sublimation actually releases enough gas that it serves like a thruster for the comet and pushes it out of the way of the planet and they save the planet. And then the shepherds are happy because they've left the comet Mohammed alone and Pike is happy because the comet's no longer going to hit the planet and everybody's happy. And then we have one of the last scenes is Uhura saying she finally had a chance to translate a lot of what the musical language that the comet had presented. And it was images and included in the images were the chunk of ice that Spock had sheared off using the shuttlecraft as a melting device. And it was the exact same configuration as a chunk of ice in the image that she had gotten before the incident had even happened. So this Mahanet had foreknowledge of what they were going to do and were counting on them to do it, to stop the comet from hitting the planet. And he knew it was going to happen, or they, it. And she says it knew its fate, which, you know, resonated with Pike. Because, yes. of course, he knows his fate, too. Absolutely. Actually, I got chills at that moment. At first, I was kind of confused about that because I was saying, well, if this comet can go wherever it wants to go, why did it need Spock to do that? And it's telling us his, its intention was to seed the planet, to create the rain, and not to kill the planet. Then why did it need Spock to do this? Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not explaining it. I guess. No, you really are. And I think it, it goes to the same thing that Pike is struggling with when he's conversing with Una about not changing his fate. There were a group of circumstances that came together at the same time. The Enterprise was there and the Shepherds were there and the Comet was there and Persephone 3 was there. And all of these things had their own influences on how this situation was going to turn out and i think therein lies sort of like the comets both the power and the drawbacks it knows that this is going to happen and so it lets it happen but it also means that it could not happen in which case then there's nothing it's powerless to change that the first time i watched it i was like eh. 
I'm thinking of it like this comet goes where it wants to go and does what it wants to do. So that may not be the case. Well, that's what the shepherds said. But right. the shepherds were also interpreting. Exactly. So the and second... I'm not even sure they knew of what Spock did. Ex- so they, they didn't. they were interpreting the behavior that they saw. No, they didn't know what Spock did. So the first time I watched it, I wish they didn't add that part at the end. I wish they would have just left it as Spock did this, they don't know it, and they let him believe that this comet did it. But then the second time I watched it, I realized that they couldn't have broken off that piece by themselves. They needed somebody to do that. They needed Spock to break off that piece to create rain to seed the planet. I I actually don't really see it that way. I see it more like that the comet anticipates probabilities. Okay. And outcomes of those probabilities based on the coming together of all these, you know, all these variables. And that, because it's entirely possible that Pike could have said, okay, you know what, I'm not risking my ship, we're leaving. And it's too bad for these people, wish we could have done something, oh well. Then the comet would have hit the planet. So there are points at which, in this whole process, and Right, that's what I'm saying. That things could have been different. That's what I'm saying. After I watched it the second time, I realized that the comet needed Spock. They said that. Comet needed Spock to move it so it didn't hit the planet. Right. That was an element in how this was going to work. Yes, yes. The first time I watched it, I was like, well, if this comet can just go anywhere it wants to go and its its mission was to seed the planet, couldn't it do it without Spock? Actually, your interpretation, I think, really makes sense when you think about how it threw up the force fields when they were trying to attach those engines to move it. Right. It didn't need to be just moved. It needed to be moved and broken. have a piece of it right. broken off. Yes. Right. I, I think your interpretation is right on. Because my first thought, first time I watched it, I was like, well, we didn't need this end part. If the comet could have done all this itself... We didn't need this end part. It didn't make any sense. But right. the second time I watched it, I realized it did make sense. So, and that's something that I did fail to say is when, you know, just so everybody's clear, that when this piece of comet, this chunk of comet was pushed, broken off, and it sublimated off and sort of sent the comet in a different direction, it actually entered the atmosphere of Persephone 3 and became rain. Right. And it was enough water entering the atmosphere to change the climate of the planet. Right. We have one really wonderful scene, again, with Spock and Uhura, another corridor scene. So it's a bookend to the first corridor scene when, you know, he's like, you know, there are people who really want to be part of Starfleet and you don't. And that's something for you to be aware of. This is the bookend to that scene where she's like, I guess I shouldn't have been down there. And he said, you know, I was thinking about what I said about, you know, being in Starfleet. And she's like, yeah, I know I shouldn't have been down there. And he's like, you know what? The odds of our survival was really low. And she did a great job. And he said, you may not have come to Starfleet like everybody else does with passion and drive and desire to be here. But if you choose to stay, we're going to be really lucky to have you. And it was, again, a great bookend and another layer of the relationship that's being developed here. So now I'm wondering if Sam is going to be a regular character because he got taken out kind of quickly. (laughs) He did. He really did. I mean, he was knocked out. His heart stopped. They got his heart going again, and then he was sent up to the sick bay, and we never saw him again for the rest of the episode. I'm thinking probably yes, because otherwise they did spend a lot of time introducing us to him, if not in person, then by reference. Yes. So I think he's going to be there. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. The last scene, which is a very, um, again, really good scene because it's another layer on, on Captain Pike. Una, once again, is talking to him, you know, don't assume that this is the end for you. You know, this thing that's going to happen 10 years down the road. And, and it's 
you know, I think we're going to see this as going to be a tension we see throughout, throughout the series. You know, is it, pre, is it preordained or is it avoidable? Like the comet. Is the comet hitting Persephone 3 preordained or is it avoidable? And what set of circumstances makes it avoidable? And he actually knows the names of the cadets that he's going to save. You know, he said earlier in this episode that he repeats their names over and over again because this is the whole point of the accident is to save these lives. And so when she says, you know, maybe you can make a different choice, he goes to the computer and he pulls up the names of these future cadets who are still just children. And that's where we leave off. Any other things about this episode that I missed or that you wanted to make sure we touched on? No, I really loved this one. Yeah, I love this one too. On a scale of 1 to 10, what would you give this one? I'll give it a 9.5. I, you know what? I'm right there. 9.75, 9.8. And the <laughs> only quibble I have is that one ridiculous little moment where I'm like, where did they come from? <laughs> it is hardly a quibble at all. I am just so excited about this series because these two first two episodes have been so strong. Yes. Do you think it's possible? Dare I even say this out loud or will I jinx it? Do you think it's possible that we might actually have a series of Star Trek that starts out strong in the first season? It looks that way. It does. It does. I know. And this would be the only one. Huh. And I think maybe it's because, you know, it's something to think about. Because in previous series, we spent a lot of time in the first season getting to know all the characters. But we didn't have to do that here. Because if you watch Discovery, you know the characters. Or most of them. Right. And because we already know the characters because we know these characters from other series. Yes. We don't have to get to know them very well. Yes. But I think, you know, they always say Star Trek doesn't find its footing until the third season. I think this seems like it's found its footing already. I agree. I'm just so impressed and so excited. Okay. Anything else before we move on? No, I think I think that's it. All right. Well, then, we invite our listeners to join us when we talk next about Season 1, Episode 3, Ghosts of Illyria. What was that? Ghosts of Illyria. I did look it up. Illyria, the region in the western part of the Balkan Peninsula inhabited by numerous tribes of people collectively known as Illyrians. Thank you, Wikipedia. Oh. Am I thinking maybe I have the wrong name? What was the name of that? Next Generation, the episode where this person who was pretending to be a god said that the planet would have a thousand years of peace. Oh, yes. What was her name? Um, what, give me a minute. Was I it Illyria? Great episode. That one was a lot of fun. Was her name Illyria? Ardra. Oh. Where am I getting Illyria from? Why did that? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. For some reason, that sounded familiar. Okay. Ardra. She was a great character. Yeah. I wish we had seen her bef- again because she was fun. Yeah. Well, I thank you very much, and we invite you guys to join us next time. Okay, we'll see you then. See you then. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter at Ross Bugden licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts.